On Wednesdays, what I think we're going to start doing, just see how it goes, is we're going to open Wednesday nights to not only uh, middle school kids, but fourth, fifth, and sixth graders. And really, I'm hoping to open up an environment as these kids are moving, because even kids today in elementary, they're hearing all kinds of weird stuff in the public education system. So I thought to myself, you know what? We might as well equip them to be missionaries in their schools. So if you, uh, if you have middle school kids, elementary age, fourth, fifth, and sixth, uh, Wednesday night, we're going to open that up, 6.30 on, on Wednesday. But um, as I said, today um, I'm very excited anytime I get to preach about the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I remember I went on a mission trip down to Paraguay, and um, Joe Green, who's the pastor of City Church, I went with him, and he said to me, I'd recently come on staff at City Church, and he said, I'm going to have you preach the first night we're there in a church we were at. I said, okay. So he said, put your message together. He goes, give it to me because I'll be interpreting your message. And if you've ever preached with an interpreter, it's an interesting experience because you get used to flowing in something. You got to wait every time before they say something because you say something. People don't know English. They they don't know what's going on. So I preached on that night on the baptism and the power of the Holy Spirit. And I love love getting outside of the United States. Someday I've been praying to God. I'd love to go to every nation known to man. I mean, I'd love to go to Africa, Iran, because when you get outside the United States, when I preached in Paraguay, and you preach a message and you wonder, God, are you touching anybody? Then you open up the altars and everybody and their brother comes forward and they're crying and God's touching them. So I'm just going to encourage you today that as we begin to look at God's Word and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, understand with God to receive anything from Him, it all begins with faith in Jesus Christ. And when you come to saving faith in Jesus, then to receive anything from the Holy Spirit just comes with surrender and opening your heart. Because one of the, one of the greatest detriments today to some believers in really receiving everything that God has for them are doctrines that have been developed that I really don't believe are based on the Word of God and aren't in alignment with the heart of God. And, and some people that hold these doctrines are people that I have great respect for in ministry. But when I look at God's Word, and I see who He is, and I know that He's unchanging, and I know His heart for the bride of Christ at this hour in history, I know the game changer in all of this is the power and the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And the the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the fullness of the Holy Spirit, is probably one of the most attacked things by the enemy. Because if the enemy can get a believer to divorce themselves and once they come to salvation, if a person's whole experience with God is simply, I've come to Jesus and my sins are forgiven and that's about as far as I get, there's a whole thing that they're missing out on. And again, I don't want to discredit or diminish the work of salvation because it's one of the greatest miracles that God does. But it's always interesting to me is that some churches who preach against some things, like especially the gifts of the Spirit, the fullness of the Spirit, I ask myself, what do you do with the book of Corinthians? I mean, honestly, as a pastor, if you don't believe what's in God's Word is for today, how do you preach any of this? And you know what happens? They don't. Because the great, one of the greatest ways to resist the Holy Spirit is passive aggressiveness. And let me tell you, there'll come a day for some of these ministers, and some of them are even well known, who I believe someday they'll stand before the living God, and the experience they're going to have with Jesus may be a little different than what they think. Because if you as a minister preach anything that robs God's people of something that He wants to give them, you now become a vessel of the enemy. And it's a very dangerous thing. And some people would hear me say that, and they're like, why, why would you say that? Because what I've come to realize in the body of Christ in America is some pastors don't like confrontation. They don't like stirring the waters. They want to be everybody's buddy. And you know what? I say, I'm done with that. I, I, one of the people I love in movies is William Wallace. 
And Williams Wallace's attitude was, I'm going to stir things up. So today, we're going to stir things up a little bit. So I want to, I want to pray this morning. And again, I also want to encourage you this Saturday from uh, 12 to 6 at Otsonango, we uh, have um, six different worship teams from different churches that are coming out. I have different pastors who are going to pray, and we are going to fill Otsonango Park with worship because I believe that God is bringing a move of God not only to this church, but to Broome County, the southern tier of New York. And he's going to do something awesome. So let's pray this morning as we look at the uh, baptized and the power and the fire of the Holy Spirit. So Father, right now as I uh, just lift up all of this to you, Lord, I thank you for the opportunity, the honor to, to preach and teach your word. And Father, I just um, pray to be led and guided, Holy Spirit, by you. Holy Spirit, I just pray that always in this church and this ministry that you will be honored, that you will be welcomed, and that, Lord, we'll never be ashamed of anything that you desire to do. Holy Spirit, I love you very, very much. I thank you that you are my best friend. And I thank you today that you are going to lead and guide in all things. In the name of Jesus, amen. So here's a couple of questions. Is the day of Pentecost a one-time event? Is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit a one-time event? Does God still fill people with the Holy Spirit today? Does He still heal today? Do people still speak in other tongues and prophesy today? And is everything that is written in God's Word still available to God's people today? Now, some of us would look at these questions and we would say, well, these seem like pretty elementary questions. But how you answer these questions will shape your doctrine and theology. And however you build your doctrine and theology in your life will determine the course of your life. Because Paul tells us that we are to build our lives on sound doctrine because what doctrine is, it is when you look at God's Word, how it is interpreted and how it is applied to your daily life. Because the Word of God, if you simply hear it, but there's no application, it's not going to do anything. And sadly, there's some people that sit in churches and they don't apply the Word of God. So there's no change. But when the truth of God's Word goes forth and people apply it, which means they surrender to it, because here's the answer to a question that every human must answer. Who is God? Now some of us would say that God Almighty in the Bible is God, but here's the problem. There's many people today that they may even say that Jesus is God, but the one they really see as God is themselves. And if God is truly God, then His Word is the Word of God, and it is the final answer to every question. There's no arguing with the Word of God. Regardless, if you may think there's 90,000 genders, there's only two. Regardless of whether you think marriage is between a woman and a woman and a man and a man and an animal and a person, it doesn't matter because God's Word says that marriage is between a man and a woman. God is very clear in His Word. And here's the other thing about the Word of God. God never gave His Word to prove that He exists. God gave us His Word to reveal Himself. And so at the height of arrogance... When people look at all of this, they look at the Word of God and they say there is no God, then they choose in their arrogance and pride to reject the living God. But for the people who look at the Word of God and want to surrender to everything that God has in His Word, then the fullness of everything that Jesus experienced on this earth can be the reality we live in. Because Jesus said, you will not only do the same things I have done, but you will do greater things. Now, does that mean that you and I are going to be greater than Jesus? No. And here's why I believe that Jesus made this statement. Because in this discourse, he was talking about going back to the Father, and he was talking about the Comforter who would come. Jesus' life, though he was fully God, he did everything as a human being. And he did everything under the leading and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So when Jesus says, you will not only do the same things I have done, what he is talking about is every single individual believer. 
because he was looking at the disciples and he knew that when he left that they would begin to build the church and when you look at all of their ministries, they did the same things Jesus did. And they did it because of the power of the Holy Spirit. But Jesus, when he says, you will not only do the same things I have done, you will do greater things because when he walked the earth, he did it as a single individual. But now... He will raise a church, He will raise a bride who will walk in the power and the fullness of the Holy Spirit and they will all collectively do what He did. So it is never about being greater than Jesus, but when God takes broken vessels and He uses them for His glory and God and those people do extraordinary things because of the power of the Holy Spirit, it is God alone who gets the glory. So what the devil figured out is if I am going to divorce the bride of Christ from the power of God, there is one way I need to do it. I need to divorce them from the fullness and the power of the Holy Spirit. So throughout the church age, there's been different periods of outpourings of the Holy Spirit. There's been different periods where God has risen up individuals who have ministered in the power and the might of the Holy Spirit. But I truly believe in the times that we live in, God wants to bring his bride into the fullness, the glory, and the power of who he fully is. And what it begins with is it begins with the baptism and the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So, as I said, there are some in the Christian community who would insist that the devil still moves supernaturally, but somehow the power of God has stopped. And when you believe this, like when there's people that say God doesn't heal anymore, that's hopeless Christianity. That is, that is satanically inspired. It is a demonic lie from the pit of hell. And to truly build your life on a theology that God doesn't heal anymore, then what you're saying is God has changed. What you're saying is the God that you serve of the Bible is not the God of the Bible because that would make him a liar. And some would say that all God does today is simply save people. That is the sum total of their Christian experience. And as I said, I don't want to make light or diminish salvation. Salvation of a life is the greatest miracle on this planet. When God saves and redeems a person, there is no greater miracle on this earth. But does God still baptize people in the power and the fullness of of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we're going to look at today. Now John the Baptist said this in Matthew 3.11. He says, I baptize with water those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone, speaking of the Messiah, is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I am not worthy even to be a slave and carry his sandals. Listen to what John says here under the inspiration and the leading of the Holy Spirit. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Who was John talking to? He was talking to the people of Israel at that time, but because God has given us this in His Word, I believe that this message John spoke is to anyone who would hear it and receive it. And the word baptize in the Greek is the word baptizo, and it means to immerse. Express the action of immersing something or someone into liquid, usually water. Now, when you look at the baptism of John the Baptist, John says, I will baptize you in water. Kurt, can you stand up for a minute? If Kurt is some Jewish person and I'm John the Baptist and he comes to me, I'm not going sprinkling him with water and saying, you're baptized. I'm going to take Kurt's body. I'm going to dip him into the water. And when Kurt comes out of the water, he is going to be soaked from head to toe. Thank you. <laughs> Kurt was ready to have me throw him on the ground. I know he was. And I always, I think it's funny, they have these uh, videos of these pastors, when they baptize people, they like powerbomb them, they bring them way up in the air and powerbomb in the water. But when we talk about baptism of water, when you get baptized in water, those of you that have been water baptized, every ounce of your being is immersed in water, every part is, is touched, and the whole point and picture of baptism 
is that what it is a picture of is that before we get into that water, that is our sinful life. When we go into the water, we are dying with Christ. When we come out of the water, we are rising to new life. We are changed. We are a brand new creation. So the entire body was immersed and it came up drenched in water. But John says that the one who is coming, referring to the Messiah, who is Jesus, would baptize in the Holy Spirit and fire. And what is the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And is it still available for the believer and disciples of Jesus? Because there's a purpose for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Is it so? Is the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit so some people can have a cool experience at the altar, speak in tongues, never do anything again, and say, yeah, in 1984 I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. Is it so charismatics can get together in a service, do some crazy off-the-wall stuff, and the more off-the-wall it is, they can just say that it's of God instead of the Holy Spirit. And trust me, there's people that have done things, they've claimed it's of God, and it's not of God, it's people moving in the flesh. So what is the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Because there is a purpose. And I truly believe it is directly connected to what Jesus said in Matthew 24, 14, 13 and 14. I believe that, that it is the game changer when, when the baptism of the Holy Spirit is poured out and the purpose of it is that the fullness of God's will cannot be poured out on the earth unless the baptism of the Holy Spirit is present. So in Acts 1.8 it says this, but you will receive power. And Jesus is talking to the disciples at this time. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Now there's three things. When I looked at this verse, there's three things in Jesus' words here that really stand out to me and I believe are important. Number one, Jesus says you will receive power. Number two, he says, you will be my witnesses. And number three, he mentions Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And we're going to unpack this because this is very, very important. Now, this word power in the Greek is the word dunamis. It's where we get the root of dynamite. And it means power, deed of power. It literally describes the ability to perform an activity by extension, it refers to someone in a position of power or a force of a person's actions. And it is the power given by Almighty God that it enables the disciple of Jesus Christ to be a witness. When we talk about the power of God, what is always amazing to me about when someone is truly baptized in the Holy Spirit and they are immersed in the Holy Spirit is that the full measure of God's power is available to them. We are talking God's creative power. We are talking the power that when God spoke everything into existence. We are talking about the power when Jesus was raised from the dead. That's why when somebody is baptized in the Holy Spirit, I believe it unlocks the ability when someone lays hands on somebody, they can drive out demons. I believe it unlocks the power when someone lays hands on somebody that they can be healed in the name of Jesus Christ. And that's why also in churches that don't either preach on the baptism of the Holy Spirit or preach against it, those churches feel spiritually dead and empty. They are nothing more than mausoleums to something of the past. And what's amazing is when you study most denominations today, most of these denominations, when they started, moved in the fullness and the power of the Holy Spirit. But as they became more under the control of the wisdom of man, the Holy Spirit was pushed out the door. And see, there's always this battle that exists within the body of Christ. The question is, who's going to be in control? Who's going to be leading the, the ship? Is it going to be the Holy Spirit leading man, or is it going to be man that's telling God what he's going to do? I was talking to a guy who came to the outreach yesterday, and he had attended this church for a long time, and he was just, he started to open up to me. I didn't know the guy from Adam, and he just starts opening up to me, and he, and he shared with me that the church had a bunch of money. And he's like, he's, and, and, and he, knew, he, he, he had heard of me because he knew somebody that knew me. So we started talking, he called me Pastor Dave. He said, Pastor Dave, he goes, we as a church had all this money. He goes, we never do any outreach. We could have helped all these people. And he goes, here's what they did with it. 
they said the sanctuary was like this. They used all this money to reorient the sanctuary. They blacked out all the windows, and the pastor even said, I can preach better from over there. And as I, as I listened to him talk, I thought to myself, where is the Holy Spirit? In all of your man-made philosophies and the way that you want to do things, where does the Holy Spirit come in? And the sad fact is, is he doesn't. Because there's some churches today, they could care less if the Holy Spirit moves. There's some churches today, they don't want the Holy Spirit to move because God forbid if he does, somebody might do something that's off the wall. And I'll say this as a pastor. As we as a church grow, I truly believe that the greatest way the Holy Spirit can move in a service that is in, in, in high order. I believe that God is a God of order, and when I see Pentecostal charismatic environments that are just off the wall and there's no order to it, I believe it's very fleshly. But I believe that as a church, as people grow in the things of the Spirit, will, be, will, will there be mistakes that are made? Yeah. But there's a difference between somebody making a mistake in their flesh and then somebody trying to cause a disruption. And as a pastor, if somebody is beginning to grow in the Spirit, and I've had people that have reached out to me that have said, Pastor Dave, I've been praying, praying in the Spirit, and I'm having these experiences. Can you help me? And I, and I talk with them, and we go through it. Because the one thing I always share with people is when you're looking at the deeper things of the Holy Spirit, there's something that's very, very important. I said, if it doesn't align with the Word of God and the character of God, it's not of God. So I don't care what vision somebody says they have or what encounters with angels or whatever other thing that they're going to tell me. If this is not in the Word of God and doesn't align with the character of God, because here's the thing about Satan. The thing about Satan is when you look at the way that Satan has aligned his kingdom and the way that he does things, what he simply does is he looks at God he wants to be God, so he counterfeits everything. And next week, I'm going to be preaching a message, the rainbow belongs to one. At the beginning of Pride Month, I thought it's very important we look at the rainbow, because I'm going to make up a t-shirt on the front, it's going to have a rainbow, and on the back it's going to say, this only belongs to Almighty God. But... When you look at the enemy, one of the things we'll look at next week is the demonic counterfeit to being born again is woke. The demonic counterfeit to God's design for gender is the LGBTQ movement. So when we look at spiritual gifts, when we look at the power of the Holy Spirit, guess what? There's people that think that they've had experiences with God and they've had experience with the demonic counterfeit spirit. And again... One of the things the Word of God tells us is that the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. So if you ever come across somebody who is doing things and they're like, I just got to do these because I'm compelled by the Holy Spirit, that ain't the Holy Spirit. Because the way the Holy Spirit leads us is he knocks on the door of our hearts. He will urge us. Now, I will say this. If the Holy Spirit is really calling you to do something, whatever thing he's speaking to your heart about is not going to disappear. I've had things where I've had the Lord share with me a very difficult thing i got to share with somebody else, and I'm like, I don't want to really have that conversation. So I'm like, Lord, I, I, I'm going to wait and see if this is you. Well, guess what? The next day I wake up, the voice in my heart gets louder. And the more that I wait on him, he continues to let me know that it's of him. But one of the things I think it's very important as a pastor that as a church, if we desire the fullness, the power of the Holy Spirit, I also believe it's rightly we teach the Word of God. Because people need to be able to have discernment. Because God wants us to walk in power. And as I said, when we look at this word power, it is the power to be able to do things that God is calling us to do. And this power that Jesus talks about, it's a power given by Almighty God that enables the disciple of Jesus Christ to be a witness, to accomplish the purpose of God. Again, the fullness of the Holy Spirit is not so I can go out on the street, lay my hands on people, they get healed and say, look at me, man, I'm healing everybody. Because here's the thing, if it's not God's will for that person to be healed at that moment in time, you ain't healing anybody. 
Because you know what? Sometimes healing happens instantaneously. Sometimes it happens progressively. And sometimes it's delayed because God's doing work in somebody's heart. So we cannot, we can't take the power of the Holy Spirit and try to wield it and manipulate it to glorify ourselves. Because you know what that's called? That's called witchcraft. Because how, how the enemy will capture the hearts of people to give themselves over to witchcraft is because they want power. But the way that he deceives them is they believe that they're receiving all the glory when they don't know that they're a puppet of the enemy. And the other thing about witchcraft is witchcraft is very, very real. Some of you may not even know you live by witches, and you do. And the thing about a witch is when you are in the presence of a witch or a warlock, as you grow in the discernment of the Holy Spirit, you're going to know it right away. Because I've been in the presence of people that are engaged in witchcraft, and you would look at them and you would say, there's no way they're involved in witchcraft, and the hair on the back of my neck stands up, and I know that I'm in the presence of someone who's under the influence or even possessed by a demon. So the whole spiritual realm that we're talking about is far more real than what we're experiencing right now. So when we look at this, the perfect example in the Bible, when we talk about the impact of the power of the Holy Spirit, is Peter. Peter denied knowing Christ three times. In Luke 22, 54 through 62, it says this. So they arrested him, talking about Jesus, and led him to the high priest's home, and Peter followed at a distance. The guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it, and Peter joined them there. Now, a servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. Finally, she said, this man was one of Jesus' followers. But Peter denied it. Woman, he said, I don't even know him. After a while, someone else looked at him and said, you must be one of them. No, man, I am not, Peter retorted. About an hour later, someone else insisted, this must be one of them because he is a Galilean too. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. At that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Suddenly, the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. We're talking about one of the great pillars of the church. We're talking about the one who was crucified upside down because he did not deem it worthy to be crucified the same way Jesus was. And when we look at this, we see that Peter failed greatly. And I want to say this before I go forward. If you're here today and, and you may in your own life have failed God royally, like you're living for the, you've been living for years under condemnation thinking that somehow God had a call on your life or anointing, and because you, you failed God, that God can't use you. And I want to just encourage you today that you're listening to a lie and you're believing a lie. Because, again, restoration healing with God begins with surrender. And he is always willing to forgive. But what we see here is that Peter failed Jesus royally. And what always stuns me about this account is I think about, you know, for all the years of Jesus' ministry, when Jesus first comes to Peter, he's a fisherman, and he says to Peter, come follow me, I'm going to make you fishers of men. And, and Peter gets so overcome by the Holy Spirit, he says, away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. And so Peter begins to follow Jesus. I can't even imagine the love Peter had for Jesus because we're talking about Jesus physically, flesh and bone, being in our presence, being with him every day, eating with him, listening to him prayer, watching him go out and do ministry where he would cast out demons, where you're in a boat and the entire life you're a fisherman and you're on the seas and the storm looks like it's going to overcome you and you feel like you're going to die and Jesus is asleep and you all wake him up and you go, Jesus, don't you care that we're going to die? And Jesus doesn't even answer you. He just stands on the edge of the boat and he says, be still. Be still. 
and everything stops. And I can't imagine what it was like for Peter when he denied Christ three times and Jesus looks into the depths of his soul. And it says that when Peter went out and he wept bitterly, he was overcome as a grown man because his heart was broken. And why is it that Peter failed? It's because Peter was relying on his own power and his own strength. And at the end of the Gospel of John, now this is very important, Jesus breathes on the disciples and they actually receive the Holy Spirit. It says in John 20, 22, it says, Then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. So these guys in the presence of Jesus have actually received the Holy Spirit. But then Jesus says something very interesting in Acts 1, 4 through 5. He says, once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So wait a minute. Jesus breathes on them and they have the Holy Spirit. So what's Jesus talking about? Because all of these guys were saving faith. They had seen the risen Christ. They're all born again. What exactly, what exactly are we waiting for? And Jesus tells them to wait in Jerusalem until the promise of the Father. And though they had received the Holy Spirit, Jesus now tells them to wait upon the promise of the Father. And when a person is baptized in the Holy Spirit, they are endowed with, power, with the power of God to be a witness. We see the change in Peter on the day of Pentecost. When he preached on the day of Pentecost, the same guy that denied Jesus three times preaches one message and 3,000 people come to Christ. And the answer, the question is, did, did, was Peter an incredible orator? Was he, a, was he a seasoned preacher? Why was it that all these people responded to the salvation message and it's the power of the Holy Spirit? So we see that when we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it is power to be a witness. And this word witness that Jesus uses in the Greek is the word martis. And what it means, it's where we get the word martyr. And what it means is it means witness, martyr, a person who witnesses and perhaps has been killed as a result of being a witness. And all of the original disciples except for John were actually martyred. They all died terrible deaths. And this is where we get our English word witness or martyr. And often, the penalty of being a witness and follower of Christ was suffering and death. But that enables a person, but what enables a person to truly be a witness for Christ is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Peter would die for Jesus. And he didn't accomplish this in his own power. It was the work and the person of the Holy Spirit through him. But we see God's plan has always been what was laid out in Acts 1, verse 8 in the second half. Jesus talks about these different areas. He talks about Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And this is what Jesus said in Matthew 24, 9-14. He says this, then you will be arrested. He is speaking to the disciples and he is speaking about someday when he would return. Then you will be arrested, persecuted, and killed. You will be hated all over the world because you are my followers. And many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere and the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And he says this in verse 14, And the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it, and then the end will come. Jesus told us that we would be arrested, persecuted, and even killed. That we will be hated by the world, that many will actually turn away from the faith, and sin will be rampant everywhere, and that the love of many will grow cold and some people will say, well, you just described today. And I will say, well, the reason that sounds like today 
is because Jesus is coming is very, very soon. But Jesus says, and the good news about the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it, and then the end will come. And when Jesus said, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, he was talking about God's plan for the church age. It would begin in Jerusalem. Everything that the apostles did in the book of Acts, when the book of Acts starts, it starts in Jerusalem because that was the center point through which Jesus did his ministry. And it would move throughout Judea and Samaria because they were the areas that surrounded Jerusalem. But it would culminate at the ends of the earth. And what I think is very important is when we look at this word nation or nations in Matthew 24, 14... It is a word in the Greek that means ethnos. And this is important to understand. It means nation or people. A body of persons united by kinship, culture, common traditions, and the plural. It is frequently the group of non-Jews that become a central focus of worldwide gospel proclamation. Why is it important to understand when Jesus says, and this gospel will be proclaimed to the nations, and to understand what this word means is because he's not talking about Physical nations with borders. Jesus isn't referring to physical nations. What he is referring to is people groups. Because within every physical nation, there are many different people groups or ethnicities. But it is God's plan that every people group on this earth, descended from Adam, would hear the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But this is only possible when we are empowered to be witnesses by Jesus. And being empowered to be a witness is only possible when we are baptized in the Holy Spirit because it is actually disobedience to Almighty God to call yourself a Christian and not share the gospel. It is disobedience to Almighty God to simply sit in church and never disciple anyone. And the sad truth in America is that a lot of the American church is living in disobedience. We have a consumer mindset when it comes to church, and we show up and we say, what can you do for me? Feed me, clothe me, make me feel good, and if you don't, I'm not coming back. And the sad truth is, it not only breaks the heart of God, it angers him. Because God, I'm telling you, if Jesus today walked into this room and stood behind a pulpit in America so all America could hear what he's going to say, the message he would preach would be very different than what people think. Because in a lot of churches, the Jesus that has been preached is not the Jesus found in the Bible. Because if we're truly disciples of Jesus and we are empowered by the Holy Spirit, we are called to be his witnesses. Wherever we go, you don't have to be a witness for Jesus to say, I need to go on a mission trip to Paraguay, or I need to go on a mission trip to London, or I need to go on a mission trip to such and such a place, because the moment you step outside of your door, guess what? There's lost people. And one of the things that, and it makes, it makes my wife a little nervous, one of the things I like to do in the evening is I like to go for a walk, and my walk usually ends up over on Washington Ave. And if you've ever been in Washington Ave at evening time, it's an interesting place. But many times when I go for a walk, I, I pray while I'm walking. I pray in the Spirit. And when I'm walking, I ask the Lord, highlight to me anybody you want me to talk to or pray for. Because I'll tell you this, if you're willing to be used by the Holy Spirit and you desire to be filled with the power of God, God will show you people who need Him. And I, I wanted to conclude today with something that I think is very important that's been included in the scriptures, and I believe it's been put there for a reason. It's found in Acts 19, 1 through 7. And this was included by Luke. Luke is the one who wrote the book of Acts because I believe it's important when it comes to understanding the baptism of the Holy Spirit, when we look at what Paul is going to do right here. It says this in Acts 19, 1 through 7. It says, while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast, and he found several believers. These are believers. 
believe in Jesus. They're believers. And Paul asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? He asked them, no, they replied, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So the question is, if it's just accepted when you receive Jesus, you receive the Holy Spirit. Why is Paul asking them if they receive the Holy Spirit? Because I believe Paul is referring to something that we understand today as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it says, then what baptism did you experience, he asked, and they replied, the baptism of John. Paul said John's baptism called for repentance from sin, but John himself told the people to believe in the one who would come later, meaning Jesus. And as soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then when Paul laid his hands on them, I also believe this is very important, the Holy Spirit came on them. Okay, he came on them. A lot of people have an experience where they're like, yeah, I believe in Jesus, I receive the Holy Spirit, and I'm never going to deny. There's some Pentecostal preachers who say, if you've not been baptized in the Holy Spirit, you haven't received the Holy Spirit, and that's nonsense. Because when you come to Christ, the Spirit of God comes inside of you and He seals you. But here we see that when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied. They were about 12 men in all. So as I said, here we see that Paul is speaking to believers. He asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they knew nothing of the Holy Spirit. And here I truly believe Paul is referring to the baptism of the Holy Spirit when he mentions the Holy Spirit because it was very common and accepted in the early church when someone came to follow Jesus, that they would be baptized in the Holy Spirit. They mention John's baptism, and they are baptized after Paul brings correction to this. They are baptized into the name of Jesus. But we see after this that Paul lays his hands on them, and the Holy Spirit came upon them. Now they are already believers in Christ, so they would be sealed by the Holy Spirit and would be born again. This is where some believers stop today because it is all they know because it is all they have been taught. But we see that Paul lays hands on them. And I believe this is often an important part of receiving anything from the Lord. We see in James that when anyone is sick, call for the elders of the church to lay hands on them and they will be healed. We also see that when people would be set apart for ministry, that they would lay hands on them and they would be sent out for ministry. And when we look at this, we ask the question, why is it so important that we lay hands on people? Why is it oftentimes that when God, someone lays hands on someone, that something happens? And one of the reasons I believe is that when it says that we are temples and vessels of the Holy Spirit, that if I come into... If I am filled with the Spirit of God, baptized in the Holy Spirit, am I coming to the presence of someone who is either an unbeliever or they've never experienced the power of God? I believe when this person has surrendered and they want to receive and the Spirit of God sees their heart and know they want to receive and I lay my hands on them and I pray in the name of Jesus and I begin to pray in the Spirit that the Spirit of God begins to flow, begins to fill that person and begins to touch them. And then the question is, why do they speak in tongues and why do they prophesy? And the reason I believe this is because when people, when they are touched and filled with the Spirit and they speak in tongues and they prophesy, what it is is it's an outward manifestation of an inward reality. And I remember I was, when I was praying and I was seeking the Lord about this and I was asking to really help me understand this early on. What he showed me was, if you imagine this is a glass of water. Now, this bottle, this bottle is somewhat empty. And if I open up another bottle of water and I begin to pour it in here, it begins to be filled. But there comes a point when this can't hold any water and it begins to overflow. And I believe the reason the Lord used the word in scriptures 
not only the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but Paul also speaks of being filled with the Spirit because what God wants is, is when we are filled with the Spirit, all ministry will come out of a fullness of the Holy Spirit. Because when you and I minister and are called to be witnesses for Jesus, and we do so in our own strength and not through the fullness of the Holy Spirit, ministry feels very dry. It's very challenging. Nothing happens, nothing changes. But I'll tell you what's a game changer. If somebody is filled with the Spirit of God and they walk into a place, that already changes the whole atmosphere of what's going about to happen. And then when that individual begins to open their mouth, when they begin to pray, and then they start to lay hands on people, any demonic, any principality, they have to surrender to the name of Jesus Christ. Because again, the baptism, the fullness of the Holy Spirit, is not to be so filled with God so we can have cool experiences. The purpose of the baptism and the, and the fullness of the Spirit, the purpose of it is to be a witness for Jesus. Because right now, and at this time, the worship team can come up, they can get set up, and, and the altar teams can go ahead and, and get set up here at the front to pray. But right now in your life, there may be a person who does not know Jesus. And the, and the next step in them coming to Christ is you being the witness that God has called you to be. Because sometimes we wonder, God, do the decisions I really make in my life make a, a big deal? And I've always thought about this, especially when we do outreach ministry, and especially when I come across young kids. When you touch the life of someone, that initial touch by Almighty God may change the whole trajectory of their life. And that person that because of the work of the Holy Spirit inside of you, touching them may transform their life and then God may use them to touch so many other lives and it all began with your obedience. And this is where the enemy would love for the American church to stay. The, the enemy would love for the American church to simply stay in the building, consume, 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 do nothing, not be used by God and made no impact for the kingdom of God. And oftentimes, even around this area, there's churches I drive by that are empty. Some of them have closed. And when I drive by them, the Holy Spirit always says to me, David, my desire is that every church would be set on fire for my glory. But the, what stood in the way of what I wanted to do was not the devil. It was man. Man wanted to do things his way, and because he wanted to do things his way, it closed the door to me. And the other thing I want to say this, the big difference, if you've never experienced the fullness, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and you talk to somebody who has, a good analogy is, how many of you have seen the movie The Wizard of Oz? When you are baptized in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, it's like when Dorothy goes from Kansas, everything's in black and white, then she gets into... She gets into Oz, and it's like everything's in brilliant color, man. Everything changes. Because when you're filled and immersed in the Holy Spirit, you open the Word of God, it's like the Word of God comes alive. You're praying in the Spirit, all of a sudden, it's like all of heaven is just raining down on you. You're in worship, and all of a sudden, you're having this encounter with God, and it's like, I never experienced anything like this, because the living God wants to be encountered. We're not called to be a mausoleum and a museum to something that happened in the book of Acts 2,000 years ago. We are called to be the book of Acts. We are called to be the church of Jesus Christ. And where that all changes is when the people of God open themselves up to everything that God has. And if you're sitting here today and you've never been touched by God in a way like this, here's the only thing that you need to have. You need to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And you simply need to want to receive and surrender. Because if you come up today to receive prayer, don't come up here like you got your fist clenched, you're trying to figure this out. All I'm telling you to do is open your hands to heaven when somebody's praying for you. Just begin to praise God and receive whatever God's got for you. And that whatever happens from there, let God figure that out. Because the whole thing about God, God is not some mathematical formula where you're going to plug it in and say, this is God. 
every single one of us are unique, so the way God's going to touch us is unique. So I want to pray today. I want to ask everybody to bow your heads, close your eyes. I want to ask this question. I'm then going to pray, and we're going to open these altars. And if you want to come up and receive prayer for anything, and especially the baptism of the Holy Spirit, by all means, please come up today. But right now, if you're in this place, and you've never received Jesus, you don't know Jesus, you're not following Jesus, and you want to follow Jesus today, and you want to make Him Lord and Savior, give Him your life. I just want to ask you to raise your hand, because I want to pray for you. Awesome. So because our brother has raised our hand, I want to pray this prayer together. So please repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I come to you today and I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. Jesus, I ask you to be my Lord and my Savior and Holy Spirit I ask you to fill me with your power, your strength, your glory, and your love. In the name of Jesus, amen. And I do want to say this before I turn this over to the worship team, because somebody brought this up to me, and I think it's important people realize this. In your life, when you pray for Jesus to forgive you, you don't have to keep praying the sinner's prayer. There's some people, they come to a service. I was in a church one time. This went on for 30 weeks. Every time they gave a salvation offer, the same lady raised her hand, went down to the altar, and prayed the sinner's prayer. When you come to Jesus and you ask him to forgive you of your sins, because that's what the sinner's prayer is. It's not magical words. You're crying to Almighty God. And the reason... I lead people in it. If you don't know God from Adam, you don't know how to pray really, so we're going to help you. But once you come to Almighty God and you confess to Him you're a sinner and you receive by faith what He has, you're a child of God. Your sins are washed away. Now, if you sin, you just have to confess your sins to the Father and He forgives you. But you don't have to keep coming to God groveling before Him and say, I want to be your child because what He's saying is, you are my child. You're sealed by the Holy Spirit. And the devil wants to lie to people and think somehow I lost my salvation or I'm condemned or whatever other nonsense that they think God's holding over them. And if you've confessed your sins to Almighty God, guess what? You're forgiven. You're set free. Let it go. Stop listening to the devil because he's a liar. So we're going to open up these altars. We're going to pray for people. If you need healing today, if you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, if you've got something you're dealing with, you need God to move in it, these altars are open, and we're going to turn this now over to the worship team.